What's up, everybody? Welcome to From the Top Rope. I am your host, Gersh Brooms, and I am coming at you with episode number 60 here on the WrestleBuzz Podcast Network. Thank y'all so much for joining me. Um, I know this podcast is like hard to make sometimes, and I love doing it. I love sitting down here in front of my microphone and talking shit about wrestling with y'all. So thank you for being patient. Patient, Jesus. Uh, I work in a hospital, so we say patience, whatever. Um, so thank y'all so much for joining me. I know people have been asking me about the epic of the Tribal Chief. I am working on ep- episode or chapters two and three right now as we speak. Um, I'm hoping to get those out later this week. Thank y'all so much for your patience. They're actually kind of hard to put together. I kind of bit off more than I can chew, but I have a lot of fun writing them and putting them together. So thank y'all so much for sticking in there with me. And thank you for joining me, Gersh Brooms, here on the WrestleBuzz Podcast Network. I got a fun show lined up for you today. Before we jump in, let's plug my socials. You can follow me on Instagram at I Hate Gersh Brooms. You can follow this podcast at From the Top Rope Podcast. Like I said earlier, I am part of the WrestleBuzz Podcast Network. I love being a part of this uh, podcast network. All of our podcasts that we put in here are awesome, and all the guys who work and run the podcast are fantastic. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at WrestleBuzz, or you can follow us on Twitter at WrestleBuzz with three Zs. I believe TikTok is at WrestleBuzz too, um, at WrestleBuzz, not WrestleBuzz number two. And uh, yeah, we have the Wrestling Journal podcast. That's our flagship podcast. You can catch them every weekend, uh, sometimes on Mondays. And we also have uh, Project Kayfabe. You usually find them dropping episodes right in the middle of the week. You can follow them on uh, podcasts or on <laughs> Instagram at Project underscore Kayfabe. You can tell, man, this is just me shooting from the hip. Sometimes I stumble over my words. Um, but yeah, that's it. And so if you typically listen to this podcast, um, I usually run down the top 10 um, of the week, top 10 news stories of the week. Um, I usually give kind of like a hot take, uh, opinion piece, uh, talk about what's coming up this week in wrestling. But man, let me tell you all something. Life has been hard. Um, most of my wrestling consumption in the last few weeks, and shit, not even, if not even that, over a month has... Uh, just been uh, watching clips on the internet. I have not been able to like sit down and properly digest wrestling like I should. Uh, obviously, I'm keeping up. Obviously, uh, this is Tuesday morning you're listening to this, and uh, WrestleMania is less than two weeks away. And I thought I'd do something a little different today because I don't give a shit. You know what? I'm going to do whatever I want. And I want to talk about my favorite WrestleMania of all time. Now, you're probably thinking... Is it WrestleMania 17? Is it WrestleMania 30? Is it The Rock versus Cena? What is it? And let me tell you something. My favorite WrestleMania of all time is WrestleMania 19. Um, I may have talked about this on the podcast in the past, but <clears throat> so uh, kind of give you, if you haven't heard on the podcast or you knew the podcast, whatever it might be, uh, kind of give you my wrestling journey, like how I got into wrestling. Um, I got into wrestling in 1997, uh, and I jumped on the WCW train, of course, like we all did back then, and um, I was knee-deep in NWO and all that fun stuff, and right around sometime in 98, um, my buddies at school were talking about you know WWF, Monday Night Raw, all that fun stuff. And I, if I remember correctly, like obviously Raw was taped. That if you go into the Monday Night Wars, that's pretty instrumental in the war. The fact that Monday Night Raw was taped sometimes. I think they taped every other week. But 
um, raw or excuse me, nitro started at like seven and would go to seven to nine, but then like WWF raw would start at like eight and go to 10. So as I got into 1998, I kind of started watching that last hour of raw and eventually, uh, the finger poke of doom is what, uh, sealed the deal on me watching wrestling for a long time. Uh, I turned off after that and, uh, obviously the same time over on raw, is when Mick Foley won the championship. And, uh, but yeah, I stopped watching. So, I mean, I was getting a little older too, maybe, you know, wanting to try something different and stuff like that. My friends weren't really watching wrestling. So, um, flash forward to 2003, I got back into wrestling. So, when I got back into wrestling, I joined the Air Force and uh, my buddy watched Raw. And I started watching Raw. I was like, damn, I used to watch wrestling when I was a kid. And uh, when I say kid too, like 99, I was. 15, so 14, 13, 14, 15 was right around the time I was watching wrestling. So here I am, I'm in the Air Force now, just a few years later, and uh, my buddy watches Raw, and I have cable. I'm the only one that has cable uh, in my friends group. So everyone came over to my place, and we watched Raw, and of course I got back into it. And I remember going to a Sam Goody's. Uh, if you guys remember Sam Goody's, take you back to 2003, and I was over in the DVD section, and of course they had a WWE DVD section. And, um, I was kind of looking and I saw WrestleMania 19, the DVD sitting there and I looked at the date and I realized, oh, this is the most recent WrestleMania. And, uh, so I popped it in. Now I had been watching Raw for maybe, maybe a month, maybe. Um, obviously this is the time of Goldberg, uh, obviously Triple H, all that good stuff. Uh, Evolution was kicking into full gear at that time. And, um... So I bought the WrestleMania 19 DVD, and man, I didn't know any of the storylines. I didn't know shit about shit, but I jumped in, and I still remember the feeling of watching WrestleMania 19 for the first time. And like I said, I went in cold. I had no idea what any of the storylines were. And um, so I always like to go back and watch it, and I thought, hey, here we are, 2023. We're on the 20th anniversary of WrestleMania 19. And I went ahead yesterday. I had to do some uh, some stuff around the house. I had to put together a bookshelf. I was like, let me throw on WrestleMania 19. And I just want to watch it. And I want to just enjoy the shit out of it. And then as I was watching it, I was like, you know what? This is what this week's podcast is going to be about. I'm going to talk about my favorite WrestleMania, WrestleMania 19, in honor of uh, WrestleMania 39. Yeah, 39 coming up next week out of L.A., and uh, my next week podcast, I'm going to do WrestleMania 21, which was the last WrestleMania I watched before uh, ditching wrestling for a very long time. I stopped watching wrestling in 2005, and I didn't come back till 2018. And uh, I know I missed some pretty critical years there. But um, so for this week, celebrating WrestleMania, I'm going to talk about WrestleMania 19. Don't forget, or just remember to check out my podcast next week. I'm going to talk about WrestleMania 21, which both of these pay-per-views i mean that was a two-year period of my life where i was watching wrestling non-stop every single pay-per-view i bought every single dvd and i was loving every second of it I went back and i bought everything so i got educated like reactively or whatever the words i'm looking for and we're going to talk about wrestlemania 19 my favorite wrestlemania all right wrestlemania 19 coming out of seattle washington at good old safeco field on march 30th 2003. Here we are 20 years later. A record-breaking 54,000 fans 
um, and they had a gate of $2.76 million. Now, before I jump in and start running down the card and talking about all the fun shit that happened on this show, um, one of the things I love the most about WrestleMania 19 is how beautiful it looks. Um, I like a WrestleMania that feels unique. And, you know, there's certain WrestleManias like they just keep all cookie cuttering into these various, you know, football fields or whatever. And they all kind of feel the same. You know what I'm saying? Sure, some fields look different, but um, I like WrestleMania to look different. And not just the stage, but like the place that they do it in. And now they just kind of do them all in football stadiums and all football stadiums kind of look the same. Um, But WrestleMania 19 was in a baseball field. And it looked and felt like it was in a baseball field. Like, even when they do the Royal Rumbles in the baseball fields now, like, you have to really work hard to realize that it's in a baseball field. Um, And it's just the way they shoot it and stuff like that. But go back and look at the pictures or look at the videos from WrestleMania 19. It looks super unique. And it looks like WrestleMania 19. Like, when I see a picture of it, I just need to see the the crowd or whatever, and I'll be like, yep, that's WrestleMania 19. And they left up all the baseball stuff too. Like you can see the giant Safeco field sign. And it was kind of like a like a half indoor, half outdoor. Like they had a it wasn't outdoor, but they had like the giant windows to let natural sunlight in. So basically the first half of the pay-per-view is lit up with the sun, because obviously it's West West Coast, so they start a little early to compensate for the East Coast. And it's not so about halfway that the sun goes down. It kind of changes the vibe. But the vibe and the look and feel of it was fantastic. Like, to me, that's what WrestleMania has to look like. I love the feel of WrestleMania 19. And the stage was simple. But because of the, because of the like, baseball stadium and they, they, they left room, they had, that, they had two extra side stages and they had one side stage for the performers, for the wrestlers. And, like, uh, you know, we'll talk about Trish Stratus here in a little bit. But she goes out and she goes off on that side stage. And that's where she kind of does her little fist pump and all the confetti goes everywhere. Like, it's like this extra little part where the wrestlers can kind of go do their thing. And on the other side, of course, they had Limp Biscuit set up. And hands down, I will put money on it. If you're talking about live performances at a WrestleMania, Limp Biscuit absolutely killed it. We'll talk more about Limp Biscuit. Hit the mic as the show goes. But Limp Biscuit put on a goddamn show, and I loved every second of it. Um, but like the stage was, you know, very simple. Like the actual LED lights or whatever were very simple. Um, but the pyros were off the chain too. For they they utilized the 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 baseball field. Like it just felt so unique, and I don't. And maybe I had like a little recency bias because this was my first WrestleMania I ever watched. I never watched a WrestleMania before this because I was a WCW guy. So maybe because this is my first WrestleMania I'm watching, I have like this emotional connection to it. But I don't give a shit. Go back and fight me. I promise you, watch WrestleMania 19 and just appreciate the beauty that is the arena. And the stage setup was simple yet perfect with Limp Biscuit and the side stage. It was awesome. Now, of course... Think back to your history, WrestleMania 19, 2003. This was the first WrestleMania of the dual brand area, era. Excuse me. Uh, so in between WrestleMania 18 and 19, they split the brands. SmackDown was SmackDown. Raw was Raw. And I also really miss these days. I missed 
So I watched Raw. I never watched SmackDown because I didn't get SmackDown. Whatever channel SmackDown was on at the time, I didn't get it. Every once in a while, it would pop up like delayed maybe a day or so on some other channel. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't get a chance to watch SmackDown. So it felt so special when Raw and SmackDown had dual pay-per-view. And you got to see these people interact maybe in the back or whatever it might be. And I also just liked how... SmackDown had a feel and Raw had a different feel. I mean, obviously, I've gone back and watched all these SmackDowns. Um, if you've heard, listened to the podcast about my great journey of watching all the Raws and SmackDowns uh, in chronological order. Um, but I liked it. It just had a vibe. SmackDown had a vibe. We'll talk about Hogan and Vince McMahon later on. Like, if you look, that was a SmackDown property. They had that shit, that feud on SmackDown. They had Hulk Hogan on SmackDown. Um, the main event for this WrestleMania was a SmackDown main event, and I thought it just made a giant statement uh, to hold SmackDown in such a high regard, even though Raw is the flagship show and was pulling in more ratings. So, like I said earlier, uh, you had um, you had uh, Limp Biscuit, and they were there performing live, and they actually had the the theme song called Crack Attic. Crack Attic. Um, it was an unreleased song. I don't know. I think they recorded it at some point, and uh, but they un- it was never released, so they used it for uh, WrestleMania 19. And I'll fucking say it, and I don't give a shit what none of y'all say. Best WrestleMania theme song of all time. Now maybe it's because WrestleMania 19 is my favorite WrestleMania, but also Limp Bizkit was a big important popular band when I was younger. I definitely saw them when I was 16 years old back in 2000 or whatever it was. Um, so we'll talk more as we go through talking about Limp Bizkit. Um, but let's talk about the matches. So I'm not going to go through the card. I'm not going to spoil the card in case you've completely forgotten what, um, what, uh, the card was for WrestleMania 19. I don't want to spoil it for you. You're going to join this journey with me right now. Um, so of course, Sunday night heat. Oh God, I also missed this. They kind of do this with the pre-shows, but they stopped doing it. They stopped putting matches on the pre-show. Hey, WWE, I know you're listening to me. Put matches back on the pre-show. It makes the people who go to the event feel special for actually being there early. Put a fucking match on. But back then they did Sunday night heat live. So of course, Sunday night heat was typically recorded, um, like before raw or after raw. I can't remember. And then obviously tape delayed on Sunday nights. Uh, but on pay-per-views back then, they would record Sunday Night Heat live. And it was basically their pre-show. And I loved it. And uh, you had Kane and Rob Van Dam uh, facing Chief Morley and Lance Storm. I believe they were the tag team world tag team champions. And, uh, of course, the Dudleys came out and um, did a 3D uh, on Storm. And then did a elbow on RVD. And then pinning. Uh, putting Storm on top of RVD to pin and so they can win. It was super weird. I don't even remember what happened with it. They talk about it later on the show in WrestleMania. They kind of do the the flashback or the highlights of Sunday Night Heat. But um, it's just Sunday Night Heat looked cool as hell in the lit up arena of Safeco Field. All right, so we jump into WrestleMania proper. And, of course, you had Ashanti come out and sing America the Beautiful. Always love that about WrestleMania, singing America the Beautiful. And uh, opening match uh, was SmackDown match. Uh, Rey Mysterio versus Matt Hardy for the WWE Cruiserweight Champion Championship. So in case you guys don't remember, this is full heel Matt Hardy version one. Um, and I can't remember all the circumstances that had Matt Hardy as the Cruiserweight Champion, but he was. Now, I believe there was some type of shenanigans where he was pretending to be uh, under the Cruiserweight uh, weight limit or whatever. 
But um, this is also, which, which is fascinating, Rey Mysterio's first WrestleMania. Uh, so WrestleMania, uh, or excuse me, Rey Mysterio had joined WWE uh, later on in 2002, and this was his first WrestleMania, and we're about to celebrate him going into the Hall of Fame 20 years later, which I think is fantastic. Now, of course, with Matt Hardy being the sleazy heel and faking being underweight for the Cruiserweight Championship, definitely thought that this was going to be a Rey Mysterio win. Uh, but with the help of, what's his name? Oh, damn, I'm looking forward on my paper. Um... Oh, damn, where's it at? Uh, damn, it doesn't say. Damn, what was his name? Shannon Moore? I think it was Shannon Moore who was coming out with Hardy, you know, basically as like his twin. He was dressed like him, act like him. Um, but, of course, he assisted Matt Hardy through the win or through the match. And, of course, Matt Hardy won. And he did like a like a, like a cheap pin. Like he, I think, if I remember correctly, uh, Rey Mysterio did the 619, went for the West Coast pop, and then just kind of – Matt Hardy just kind of got under, like switched it up under, reversed it, and held the ropes, and of course, uh, beat Rey Mysterio. Now, of all the decisions made on this show for who was going to win, I think having Matt Hardy win in the opening match, and let me look and see if it shows me what how long the match was. A seven minute match. Uh, although, excuse me, that was the uh, the opening match. Oh shit! Even worse, five minute match. I knew it was short. It felt short when I watched it, and um, he definitely could have, you definitely could have had Rey win there. Uh, first WrestleMania, uh, maybe this is uh, like the, the signs of times to come. Him 20 years later uh, going into the Hall of Fame and potentially going against Dominic, his son, uh, at WrestleMania. Ooh, what if Ray loses a Dominic? Oh, man, I don't even want to talk about that. Hopefully, I get the boys over at WrestleBuzz Podcast Network. We all get together and do a wrestling uh, a WrestleMania preview show next week. But, yeah, Matt Hardy retains version one. A uh, little bit of a shifty victory, but that's okay. Now, here's a fun story about the next match. Um, I don't have all the stats in front of me because I'm not a stat guy. Uh, but, if, of course, Undertaker's WrestleMania streak is absolutely legendary. Everybody knows about whatever it was, 21-1, and one, when he lost to Brock Lesnar, I think. Uh, well, I know he lost to Brock Lesnar, but I think it was 21-1. and one. Um, But I believe this was the first time he had ever competed in a tag team match at WrestleMania. Now, I might be wrong about that, um, but... This is Undertaker in full American badass mode, and uh, love it or hate it, let me tell you something. They had Limp Bizkit came out and played Roland, and not only was it an awesome like performance, but then of course Fred Fred Durst kind of is up by the entrance ramp while the band's on the stage, and he kind of has got his little dancers. He plays about two and a half minutes of the song, and then starts walking towards the ramp or ring, excuse me, walking down the ramp, and then of course. American Badass Undertaker comes out, and it's just the pop was great. And going down to the ring and Fred Durst being in the ring with The Undertaker was awesome. Um, but this was a tag team match with uh, Undertaker and Nathan Jones facing the uh, Big Show and A-Train. Um, I don't remember the build. I know there was a build. Uh, but I think everyone may have heard the legend uh, or the, the dirt sheets from this match. Uh, but if you don't, I'm going to kind of explain it to you. So Nathan Jones was uh, Australian, I believe, and uh, super green, super green in the ring. But the dude had the look. He was big. He was tall. Um, but the motherfucker sucked in the ring. And during Sunday Night Heat, he was actually jumped uh, by – was he jumped? I can't remember who he was jumped by. It may have been the big show and A-Train. But – he was jumped, so therefore they changed this match from a tag team match to a handicap match. So Undertaker versus A-Train and Big Show. Um, but the dirt sheets coming out of this was 
that Nathan Jones was so green that they're like, bro, you cannot perform at WrestleMania like this. And they took him out of the match. Um, now, of course, if you've seen the match, of course, the Undertaker is doing good, whatever, that's fine. Uh, but of course, he's got the handicap disadvantage. So uh, A-Train and Big Show are, are getting it over on uh, the Undertaker. And then at some point, Nathan Jones comes out like in his joggers to kind of do a quick assist and help Undertaker uh, nail the Tombstone Piledriver and pick up the victory. And I don't remember if we ever saw Nathan Jones again after this. But, uh, oh no, I'm looking right here. He was beaten down by the FBI, the full-blooded Italians. The son of a bitch couldn't even get beat down by the by the people he was facing later that night. <laughs> Does he even make sense? But yeah, Undertaker continued the streak, and uh, obviously they hadn't really, they hadn't really um, like gone full force with the streak yet. But they did mention heavily, and I don't think they mentioned it really before this that this was that the Undertaker was undefeated. Like they went out of their way several times during this match to mention that the Undertaker was undefeated, and that once he won the match, he was obviously still undefeated. And then for our third match, we jump into what I believe is the only women's uh, match on the card. We have uh, Victoria defending her WWE Women's Championship against Jazz and Trish Stratus. And I appreciate this match. Um, you know, let's look and see. Let's look and see how much time they gave it. Um, well, they had 10 minutes. Undertaker had 12 minutes. Uh, that was a handicap match. But they had 10 minutes. I thought they put some good work in. Um, the I mean, it's a triple threat match. So you have all the, the triple threat shenanigans that go on. Uh, but I just forgot how... Absolutely amazing Victoria looked. I mean, obviously, absolutely beautiful and stunning in every way, but she was built like a rock. She walked like a, a superstar. And uh, everybody talks about Trish, but uh, they need to put some more respect on Victoria's name. And, of course, just the way it was going, it was the the token women's match. This was going to be a Trish victory. But uh, Jazz showed up, too, and Jazz did some pretty awesome stuff. And she had a couple close uh, near falls, too, but... Um, it was always going to be Trish Stratus. Give her her win at Victory or WrestleMania. Give her victory at WrestleMania and call it good. Um, I really enjoyed this match though, uh, for being the one uh, women's match on the card. And if there's another, uh, if there's another women's match on the card, and I forgot about. It, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but she, let's see. Uh, this would have tied. Uh, this tied the fabulous Moolah's record with four title reigns for Trish Stratus. Now, very similar to what we're seeing right now uh, going on in WWE with them throwing random tag team matches. Um, this one wasn't so random, but it was for the SmackDown, or not SmackDown, what they call the WWE Tag Team Championships. I miss that. I miss how they used to just, they had, used to have names. It wasn't Raw and SmackDown. It wasn't none of that stuff. It was WWE and World. And damn, WWE was doing it right for a little bit. Maybe not everything was right, but uh, the way they split up the titles, that was right. Um, but yeah, so you had, uh, the WWE tag team champions, uh, team angle, of course, Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas, uh, defending against, uh, Rhino and Chris Benoit and Los Guerreros, Chavo and Eddie Guerrero. Um, it's so funny because this is WrestleMania 19 and you've got Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero, uh, in this match. Um, and team angle goes on to win spoiler alert, but damn, they put on a banger. Uh, and, uh, Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit, a year from now, at WrestleMania 20, would both be world champion and WWE champion. And here they are in kind of like a middle-of-the-ground, nothing tag team match where they don't win. 
And uh, it's kind of fun to go back and watch. And, um, man, I miss Eddie Guerrero. He was really good. Really good in the ring, man. And, uh, I mean, shout out the team angle, too. Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas were awesome. They really played that team angle storyline, like, perfectly. Um, I love that they came out to Kurt Angle's music. Um, we'll obviously get to Kurt Angle here in a little bit, but he's my favorite wrestler of all time. So, watching all these guys wrestle was fantastic. Um, they could have done a title switch. And there's, I mean, it's, when, you, when you don't do the title switch, it's just kind of like, what the hell was the point? Let's see how much time they were given. Uh, let's see, 11 minutes, 11 minutes, but, um, the match that was coming next, uh, was going to tear the entire roof down. Now, what I like the most about the next match was that only, was it a dream match for a lot of people? And, um, but this, during the middle of this match is when the sun was kind of setting and you could tell WWE, like they, they didn't do their lights right. So about halfway through the match, it just gets dark as hell in the crowd. Like the ring is lit up just fine, but the crowd is dark. And they really, not till after the match, so they kind of adjust the lights. But I thought it just made the match feel fucking cool. And of course, I'm talking about Chris Jericho versus Shawn Michaels. Um, the buildup for this was they do a little video package. The buildup was all about Chris Jericho worshiping Shawn Michaels while he was young in the business and, and trying to get his shit together. And then, of course... They always play into the Shawn Michaels leaving and then coming back. I believe this was, yeah, this was Shawn Michaels' first WrestleMania back after being gone for four years. And, uh, of course, his wrestle, last WrestleMania before this one was losing the Stone Cold. And uh, with his, he had to leave for back surgery. And, of course, he was an asshole and addicted to drugs and just being a menace <laughs> in the back. And, um, I mean, I, 22 minutes, that's how long they go. And uh, I 100% watching this DVD back in 2003, not knowing the results. I only knew a couple of the results because they were, they were huge results in the show. Um, not knowing the results. And I could have told you Chris Jericho was going to win. And, uh, I mean, if you guys have not watched Chris Jericho versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 19, absolutely go back and watch it. It would only be topped, uh, you know, a couple years later by uh, Shawn Michaels versus Kurt Angle, which we'll talk about on the next podcast. Um, but, I mean, Chris Jericho put a amazing Sweet Chin music on Shawn Michaels. And just the storytelling, the frustration of Jericho, because he couldn't get it. And the the commentators put it over so good. Just It was him just wanting to finish and wanting to end this. And Chris Jericho couldn't pull it together. And, of course... Uh, Jericho, uh, uh, Michaels attempted a sweet chin music. uh, Jericho countered it into the walls of Jericho. But, of course, Michaels got out of it and hit Jericho with the sweet chin music for a near fall. And uh, once Jericho went for a suplex, Michaels countered it into a roll, giving him a successful pinfall victory. Um, So Jericho lost uh, to a roll-up. And uh, after the match, of course, there was this moment where Jericho was going to hug Shawn Michaels, and they I know you've definitely seen, if you haven't seen the match, you've definitely seen this moment where they go and they hug, and of course, Jericho being the goddamn greatest of all time, kicks Shawn Michaels right in the dick and gets booed out of the goddamn building, and I love it because Shawn Michaels didn't, even though he lost, he, or excuse me, Chris Jericho, even though he lost, uh, he didn't lose here. He got to be in the ring with Shawn Michaels, and they put on a hell of a show. And, of course, the low blow just solidified him as just a, a nasty, 
just spiteful, uh, a little fucking brat, man. And I love this match so much. I can go back and watch it over and over again. All right, what came next is something I don't really want to talk about, but I will. Of course, the Miller Lite uh, Catfight Girls. That's definitely an early 2000s throwback right there. They had a pillow fight with Tori Wilson and Stacey Keebler, and um, they uh, Coach was out there. Uh, Jonathan Coachman was out there. They pulled his pants down. They pinned him. I don't know what the hell happened, but whatever. They needed a break. I guess they needed to fix the lights after the Shawn Michaels match to make sure people can actually see what the hell was going on for the next match. The World Heavyweight Championship was on the line. Triple H was defending against Booker T. Now, take you back to 2003. All right, so let's go back even a little further. 2001, we obviously had the WCW uh, purchase by uh, from Vince or by Vince McMahon, and then of course we had the Invasion storyline. Obviously, Booker T was one of the first guys that came over and um, was doing his thing and um, went two years, almost two years, and uh, earned himself a World Championship uh, match against. Uh, against Triple H, and I believe this was the first time the World Championship was being defended at WrestleMania, too, because um, the year before it would have been the Undisputed Championship, which was Chris Jericho and Triple H, uh, and it was the WWF di- title at the time and the WCW title. So this was the first time it was being defended. And um, if you go back and watch the 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 promo, whatever, the, the video before this, um, they were definitely like using some like heavy racial undertones with Booker T. Uh, they really were like, "Hey, bro, you're black and ghetto, and you can't be champion." It was fucking wild, man. Um, but also, this was 2003 Triple H, and the Reign of Terror was in full effect. And WrestleMania 19 has a lot of stuff that people talk about. Wrestling historians, if you will. And obviously, the Reign of Terror is well documented on many different wrestling platforms. But um, many people point to this one as being one of his most egregious things he did um, as world champion during the Reign of Terror. Um, so, well, I don't, I, I you know, I kind of go back and I was watching it last night, and so I'm gonna tell you both sides. I'm kind of, I'm kind of thinking out loud right now. So, the Reign of Terror was, you know, you know, sure, give Booker T his his bone, but Triple H was being an arrogant asshole as he was back then. And, uh, he didn't, he didn't want to give Triple H or excuse me, he didn't want to give Booker T that much. So, uh, the, the most notable, uh, uh, most notable kind of, oh shit, I don't even know what word, I lost a word. You guys ever do that? You ever just lose a word? Um, now I'm never going to get it back. I'm not cutting this too. This is going in the podcast. Um, Aggression, I guess it would be. Aggression? Oh, fuck, I don't know. But Booker T gets hit with the pedigree, and then Booker T takes his, oh, fuck, Triple H takes his damn sweet time getting over the pen, and he does, like, the laziest pen ever. Um, let's see if it says it on here. I'm on Wikipedia. Let's see if they talk about it. No, they don't talk about it. Um, it was forever. It was at least 15, 18 seconds before Triple H makes it over to pen him. Now, Take you back to about two minutes before that. Um, Triple H is laid on his back. Booker T hits the top rope, and he does his uh, his like flipping. I can't remember what it's called. It's uh, where he does like the the flip and leg drop, and he landed right on goddamn Triple H's head. Like go back and watch that fucking bump. I mean, he lands right on his goddamn head. So I don't know if that has something to do with it because the match ends not too long after that. But a lot of people point 
to Triple H's like arrogance and just total disrespect during the Reign of Terror with how long it took him to go pin. Like in reality, in K in kayfabe, uh, Booker T should have easily kicked out of it because it took him way too long to do it. But of course, Booker T was meant to be pinned, so it just looked kind of shitty. Um, but uh, obviously, Triple H would go on to the next year's WrestleMania to to kind of do great things as the world champion. But um, while this was a fun match, let's see how long it went on for. Um, 18 minutes. God damn, that was an 18-minute match. Whew, there you go. Um, whew. It was a good match, though. I enjoyed it. Booker T showed up and showed out, man. But uh, it could have been a lot better if they would have uh, put the belt. It would have made more sense. But, you know, Reign of Terror it all is. All right. It's match number seven. Good old, I think it's like a nine-match card. So we only got a few more to go. But uh, the legendary street fight between Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon. 20 years in the making um, the whole tagline, if you will, was about, you know, Vince McMahon created WrestleMania. Well, Hulk Hogan made WrestleMania, you know, whatever it is. And they had so much bad blood and so much heat with the steroid trial and Hulk Hogan testified against, uh, Vince McMahon. And then he left and went to WCW and the NWO tried to destroy blah, 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 blah. The heat was there, man. And, um, don't forget it was a year earlier that the right before WrestleMania, I think it was at No Way Out uh, 2002, is when Vince McMahon brought the NWO back in. So Hogan, Scott Hall, and Kevin Nash brought him in to uh, because I think I think this was like knee deep in like Ric Flair taking over Raw or something like that. So he just he he wanted to inject poison and he brought back Hogan. And of course, Hogan and Rock had that amazing match at WrestleMania 18. And in between WrestleMania 18 and 19, Hogan um, went on. He had a world title run um, as a, the undisputed champion and um, just basically had his comeback tour. And it pissed off Vince McMahon, and boom, here we are, WrestleMania 19 uh, street fight. And boy, did they beat the living shit out of each other. Listen, just start at the Chris Jericho match. And if you don't want to watch anything else, start at the Chris Jericho and Shawn Michaels match and just watch this son of a bitch all the way through because this is some of the best WrestleMania moments of all time. The most notable out of this Vince McMahon match is the bloodied face Vince McMahon. And Hogan's in the ring. Vince McMahon's on the floor. And uh, he's got, like, the lead pipe. And Vince McMahon does that creepy, like, the, the it's very infamous in WWE lore now where he looks up on the ring and he kind of just peeks his eyeballs over and it's just a slow buildup of his head. And, of course, he's got this sinister look on his face. Absolute mayhem in this match. I'm just going to read over what Wikipedia has to say. Um, they tested each other's strengths. Uh, they went out outside. Hogan countered a chair shot. Uh, yeah, of course, the chair shots were out of control on, uh, on McMahon. Um, and, of course, McMahon starts bleeding. Hogan starts bleeding. Um, and then don't forget, for some crazy reason, Roddy Piper pops up in the ring and he's sitting there spitting and shitting all over both of them. And then eventually he just hits, um, let's see, I believe it's with a lead pipe. Yeah, he hits Logan Hogan with a lead pipe and just leaves the ring. And of course, Roddy Piper's getting booed out of the goddamn arena because everybody's on Hogan's side. Uh, but of course, um, they, uh, Hogan was down. Vince McMahon came in for the pin, got a close, uh, close uh, pinfall. And but that's when Hogan started hulking up and did his Hulk thing, uh, knocked Vince McMahon down and dropped three gigantic leg drops on him to win the match. And um, of course, everyone's singing a song and everyone's cheering for Hulk Hogan. And Shane McMahon comes down to kind of help his bloody dad. And both of them are bloody. And it was 
Listen, one of the best street fights I've ever seen, and the heat was there. And if you guys haven't watched it, you definitely need to go back and watch it. All right, the next two matches are probably some that go down as the best in WrestleMania history. And, I mean, seriously, WrestleMania 19 is so slept on. Um, But, of course, the match I'm about to talk about next, um, one of the most important matches uh, in all of wrestling history. Um, It was the third encounter of The Rock versus Stone Cold. um, And what would end up being, what nobody knew at the time, uh, Stone Cold's final match. Um, the buildup, of course, was uh, Stone Cold. This is you know months earlier. Stone Cold walked out. Of course, that's the infamous uh, King of the Ring tournament. Whenever they're going to have him lose to uh, Brock Lesnar in a prelim match, and not even on pay per view with no buildup at all. And of course, Stone Cold was Stone Cold, and he said "fuck off" and he left. And then he came back, and uh, he came back right as The Rock was coming back, uh, just to do a little bit of a run, and uh, and the whole story behind this match was the rock was the the big hollywood heel and he had never beaten stone cold at a wrestlemania um, of course the best wrestlemania trilogy i don't even know how many wrestlemania trilogies out there um maybe brock lesnar and uh roman reigns but uh wrestlemania 15 17 and 19 and of course this would be the final one and the rock was obsessed with the idea uh, he was the greatest wrestler of all time in his mind, and he was the greatest Hollywood actor in his mind, um, but he had never beaten Stone Cold in a match. And um, the you probably also heard the, the story of this match because uh, Stone Cold went to the hospital the night before. He had like a panic attack or something like that. He had to be admitted, and it was a whole thing. Is he going to be able to perform? And, of course, he shows the fuck up uh, with his uh, one more ride uh, you know, on his uh, vest, the OMR. Um, and, um, like I said, nobody, uh, nobody knew that, uh, it was going to be his final match. I can't remember if the rock knew or not. Um, but man, they put on a goddamn banger. Heel rock was in full heel mode. Stone cold was just being stone cold and he was tired and, oh man, any type, anytime they did, uh, stone cold did a back or neck bump. You just see him grab his damn neck and I know he's working the shit out of me. But damn, and you could feel it because you knew the history with his neck. And um, I, of course, when I watched this on DVD back in 03, um, I knew watching this that this was his last match. Obviously, they made a big deal of it after the fact. Um, but uh, so I kind of had that watching it. I didn't have the cool feeling of not knowing I was watching Stone Cold's last match live. Um, but I mean, The Rock did stunners on Stone Cold. Stone Cold put the rock bottom on The Rock. Um, he, he put on, at one point, The Rock puts on Stone Cold's vest and he's mocking him, uh, people's elbows out the ass. And at the end of the match, it took three rock bottoms to take Stone Cold out. And you could see the final rock bottom, just the look in The Rock's eyes, like he knew I'm about to lay the last rock bottom on Stone Cold. And he just, the facials uh, on The Rock were perfect. The dude is the greatest for the reason, man. Um, and he just played this perfectly. And of course, um, if you know the legend behind this match, uh, The Rock, Stone Cold selling. He's lost the match. He's on the on his back selling, uh, selling the loss. And The Rock scoots over next to him after getting the pin, and they just start talking. And uh, Stone Cold has gone on to admit it. And of course, The Rock's gone on to admit it. Uh, he just The Rock told Stone Cold how much he loved him, 
and uh, how much he appreciated everything he's ever done for him and all that, you know, just the shit that makes you love the fucking business, man. And uh, The Rock goes out celebrating. And, um, of course, you know, Stone Cold, uh, The Rock's music drops and Stone Cold's kind of uh, working his way out of the ring, selling it like a boss. And, of course, they play his music and he walks his way back up the ramp and does some couple middle finger salutes off the side stage. Still selling. This is why Stone Cold is one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest. Still selling. Uh, The dude is never going to do this again at that moment, right? He doesn't know what's happening. He's never going to perform again. And he's still selling the match. And a goddamn professional, man. Uh, But uh, my favorite out of the the Rock Austin WrestleMania trilogy, I've talked about that on the podcast before, is this match. Um, They got sharpshooters and counters and all sorts of stuff. Please, I know everyone listening to this podcast has watched it, but you should definitely watch it before WrestleMania uh, 39 happening next weekend. And the most infamous out of all these matches that happened here, the main event, Brock Lesnar versus Kurt Angle for the WWE Championship. Now, let me take a breath. So let's talk about Brock Lesnar. First off, first WrestleMania. He debuted the WrestleMania, the night after WrestleMania the year before. And in that time, he had one King of the Ring. He had beat The Rock at SummerSlam to win the WWE Championship. He turned heel. Uh, He was kind of heel. He turned face. I believe it was Survivor Series when he lost it to the Big Show with Paul Heyman turning on him. And then he just kind of had an uphill battle. And um, going into the Royal Rumble, uh, I I think he had to fight the Big Show at the Royal Rumble to get into the Royal Rumble, which he came in at number 30. And, of course, he won, earning a championship. So, of course, he was on SmackDown, and this is before they really talked about you can pick champions. It wasn't until the next year that they did that. Um, so he won the Royal Rumble, and the video package leading up to it is phenomenal um, about all the shit that Kurt Angle put uh, Brock Lesnar through. This is like the infamous uh, body-switching one where Kurt Angle was like wearing his hoodie in the corner, and during Brock Lesnar's entrance, he got swapped out with somebody else. Brock Lesnar comes out, does the F5, um, and realizes during the pin that it's not Kurt Angle. So he goes running up the ramp looking for Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle switches out with the guy and, of course, does a pin. It's all these shenanigans. Um, and then we lead to this awesome WrestleMania 19 match, and they put on a damn show, suplex after suplex, 21-minute uh, match, man, and they fucking tore the house down. Um, uh, Brock Lesnar uh, kicked out of the Angle Slam, um, several uh, ankle locks. And, uh, of course, though, um, Kurt Angle, don't sleep on Kurt Angle. He kicked out of the F5, too. And at that point, nobody had ever kicked out of the F5. And um, it was one of, like, Kurt Angle's. This is why he's the greatest wrestler of all time. It's one of his, like, 2.99 kickouts. Like, he just raises his shoulder in, like, the perfect amount of time. And he had to have that synergy with the, the ref or else it was never going to work. Um, but of course, after he kicks out, uh, Brock Lesnar puts another, uh, F5 on Kurt Angle and goes up to the top rope for the now legendary botched, and I hate using botched, but, um, cause he landed on his fucking head, but he goes for the moonsault. And of course, everyone's seen the video. Everyone's seen the picture of Brock Lesnar going for the moonsault and just landing on his damn head. And, uh, of course, what we know now is that he was completely knocked unconscious. Uh, Kurt Angle whipped for the pin, uh, and Brock Lesnar somehow kicked out. 
And Brock Lesnar being knocked unconscious with a concussion somehow laid another F5 on um, on Kurt Angle and, of course, got the victory. And Kurt Angle does a celebratory hug at the end with, uh, uh, with Brock Lesnar. And Brock Lesnar is just fucking loopy, man. The dude's got the big old whelp on his forehead. He can't see shit. The dude's trying to celebrate. And, uh, I mean... Even though the moonsault didn't work, um, I believe Kurt Angle was too far out and uh, Brock Lesnar just miscalculated the hell out of it. Um, absolute banger of a match. I don't let that little flop at the end even come close to sort selling the match because it was amazing. Brock Lesnar put the F5 on Kurt Angle and the son of a bitch kicked out. And that shit was unheard of in 2003. And uh, yeah, that was WrestleMania 19. And of course, at the end of the show, they do their cool little, um, uh, their cool little uh, uh, end of the show uh, recap video, where you know the sons of bitches are like editing at the very last minute. And I always love those. And of course, they have Limp Bizkit's Crack Attic playing over it, which I forgot to mention that they played Crack Attic at some point during the show. They played it, and uh, the best WrestleMania performance of all time. I mean, they had their own stage. It looked good. It sounded good. The crowd was into it. And, uh, yeah, WrestleMania 19, guys. I've just rambled on for I don't know how many minutes about WrestleMania 19. That's my favorite WrestleMania of all time. Uh, live out of Safeco Field. And if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I haven't seen WrestleMania 19 in forever. Or, hell, I've never seen WrestleMania 19. Go and watch it on Peacock, WWE Network, however the hell you're watching it. Watch it before uh, WrestleMania next week because it'll just get you hyped. Because it's just a classic, classic, classic WrestleMania. All right. I think I have rambled on enough. So what I'm going to do is uh, next week for this podcast, I'm going to talk about WrestleMania 21, the first time WrestleMania went Hollywood. Um, Like I said earlier in the podcast, that was the first WrestleMania or the last WrestleMania I would watch uh, from, that was 2005. I wouldn't pick up wrestling again until 2018. And uh, 2019 would be the first WrestleMania I would watch. So very long time, 14 years between my WrestleManias. Um, but I love WrestleMania 21, WrestleMania Goes Hollywood. Um, obviously, if you you have, there's no way you don't know that Kurt Angle versus Shawn Michaels, one of the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time, happened at WrestleMania 21. And of course, we had uh, some crowning of two young new world champions. We'll talk about that next week. Um, but my name is Gurge Brooms. This has been From the Top Rope, episode number 60, where I just talked shit and had a lot of fun talking about my favorite WrestleMania, WrestleMania 19. You can follow me on Instagram at I Hate Gurge Brooms. You can follow this podcast at From the Top Rope Podcast. I am part of the WrestleBuzz Podcast Network. Super happy, super proud to be a part of an awesome network. Follow us on Instagram at WrestleBuzz, on Twitter at WrestleBuzz with three Z's, and definitely check out TikTok. And definitely check out Project underscore Kayfabe on Instagram. Uh, That's our other podcast. We have the Wrestling Journal. We have Project Kayfabe. And uh, follow them on Instagram, too, because they post some great, uh, excuse me, on Instagram and on TikTok, Project underscore Kayfabe. They post some amazing content. Go out and show everybody some love. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, this has been From the Top Row Podcast, episode number 60. Thank you so much for listening to me today. Talk about my favorite WrestleMania. I'll see you next week. Ciao.